saying how much they want a strong woman. What they really want is a cheerleader. I'd like someone who's physically very frail and won't stop talking. I just want what everybody wants. I seem to have a harder time getting it. Welcome to Maximum Film. It's episode 280, and we're feeling grady as we step into the new year. It's your host, Hippie Wadiway, in the booth with me, all my friends. So let me introduce you to Dams. First up, we have the Christmas Zaddy himself. You know, uh, you know, one of my favorite critics on this uh, here side of Hollywood. It's none other than Alonzo Duralde. What's good? Oh, happy New Year, Iffy. Uh, what's happy. good is. For me, always what's good is getting to learn something new about something that I have taken for granted that's just sort of been, you know, in my life forever. So this is one that actually stems from uh, uh, something sad that happened recently. We lost the great Anita Pointer, uh, one of the Pointer sisters over the holidays. But one of the things that I found out from uh, a wonderful obituary written by a friend of the show, Nathan Rabin, is that uh, the Pointer Sisters are responsible for uh, uh, an iconic song that I had no idea that they were the singers of. Uh, that song is officially known as Pinball Number Count, but you may know it better as... That was the Pointer Sisters no on Sesame Street, y'all. Yes. That's so cool. And now I know that, and that makes my life better. Ooh. Now that song's stuck in my head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, we're all getting locked in. Um, but, you know, another thing that will be stuck in your head, people that treat you good. You know who treats you good? The Queen of the Midwest. And that makes Super <laughs> Festival programmer Drea Clark the next person I'm introducing. What's good? <laughs> so smooth. Um, <laughs> I actually have a what's good that's in the music field as well, which is rare. We don't we don't get yeah, into music not that generally much. Generally, our thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But mine, it's it is uh, Minnesotan. So there is a young man who goes by the moniker Young Gravy because why wouldn't he? <laughs> and he is a six foot seven white rapper. And for some reason, actually no, for many reasons, I'm sure. Um, People who wear brassiers have been launching said bras at this young man on stage as he tours. And he, like, there was one show in Minneapolis where he had 159 bras thrown on stage. And rather than being the pervy mid-20-something he could be, he decided that he was going to collect all of them. So they kept all of the bras thrown at him throughout his tour. And there were, like, 2,000 at the ends, and he ended up... Uh, cleaning, donated, and spending seven hours sorting them with a nonprofit called I Support the Girls, um, which then uh, either regifts uh, the, the bras that are not completely destroyed um, to gently women's used. shelters, gently, uh, gently used, yeah. um, to women's shelters, to good causes, to things like that. Um, spent a lot of time talking to them about. Uh, the use of them and, and how important uh, a good bra is. And God bless a story involving a young rapper or a young musician of any sort that doesn't turn into nightmare fuel. Good for you, kid. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. And I, I always thought Young Gravy was a brilliant name to begin with. So, like, he's just score, score, score. Right? Yeah, to him. He's, he's also known for uh, being into older women. So good for that guy. Uh, yeah. And good for you eventually. No, uh, never. never. <laughs> no, thank you, sir. 
<laughs> look, I, look, we've hung with one young ludicrous uh, bridges, so we know the rappers gravitate towards uh, exactly. Dre Clark. Exactly. Think, yeah. think of all the lingerie you'd get out of it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all the haphazardly sized lingerie I could want. <laughs> oh. Oh, well, you know, look, we, we have great co-hosts, but we also have great guests. So let me introduce you to one of those great guests, the first guest of 2023 from Woo! the Good Christian second, Fun second, Podcast. Second oh, guest is that second? of 2023. Okay, yep. the oh, first two, that I've spoke two, to baby. in 2023. Now, you are number one. I'm going to dethrone whoever I am. Sorry, guys. Number two on the Sorry, calendar, guy. but number one on yeah, our hearts. Number one in our <laughs> Uh, from the Good Christian Fun Podcast, Caroline Ely, what's good? What is good? I'm good. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to talk shop because the shop I work at is the movie shop. <laughs> oh, man. Seamless. You know, I, there's a reason I'm number two on the guest list. Uh, in that, that intro, we'll tell you everything you need to know. <laughs> what is good? Um, you know, I just started Jessica Simpson's uh, autobiography, Open Book. I've heard it's fantastic. I'm already loving it. I'm only about a chapter in. Um, she's a great writer and she's got a great story. And everyone I've talked to about it says that I will end up hating John Mayer so much more than you possibly could imagine. That's and kind I was of like, a, I'm already ahead of ahead of you on that one. Yeah, yeah. low hanging fruit, but I'll, <laughs> I'll allow it. Uh, read, reading or listening? Uh, reading. Okay. Check Ooh, it out she from my local it? library. I, I wonder surely, if she reads the audiobook. I bet she does. I would Ooh. listen to the dulcet tones of Miss oh Jessica God. Simpson know, telling her life story. Oh, with her southern accent. Repe- repeating her um, lack of familiarity with tuna. Yeah. yeah. Sign me up. <laughs> She's a rich lady, so she can she can not know tuna until yeah, yeah. the cows come home. Ask good for her. questions for the world to be clarified and feel no shame about it, Jessica. Bingo. Exactly. exactly. You know, we, there was we a time we weren't afraid. Know. We weren't afraid to be wrong. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. and she shouldn't be. Sometimes you're going to get it wrong, and that's all right. <laughs> what's good, Ify? Oh, I what's... finally did. Alonzo always does it because I always forget. Look, look, I'm happy. Oh, what's good with me is, uh, you know, the, you know, we TikTok is, is the buzzing word on a lot of trends here. And sometimes they show you some cool things. There was a TikTok uh, that uh, Emily showed me this weekend where instead of putting veggies in the drawer, you put your condiments there and then you put your veggies on the side door because the concept of it is that every time you go into your go grab condiments, you know what you want. So you're just going to open the drawer and grab it. Wow. Whereas like your veggies often are sitting there dying slowly in that drawer because you're not Forgotten. looking at it all the time. Yeah. Damn. So you so that way you're always have your eyes on your veggies and you always, you know, can and there's way more space in the drawer. So wow. you have a lot more space in the fridge. And I just did that recombobulation and the the, fr- the fridge is good. You know, usually I open the fridge and stare into it out of boredom. Now I do it and it looks good. Uh, so uh, <laughs> got to say. That's uh, impressive. Well, what are the results? Have you eaten a single vegetable since you did that? Well, you're going to have to check Nobody's in on the next episode. I did it today. <laughs> I, I did it today. Um, but, you know, because I, I sh- split shop. I shop both at like Vons, but then I also go to H Mart to get my dumps, dumplings. Yes. I realize you can't shorten dumplings just right now. <laughs> 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 
frozen dumps, none of it. No. You can't you can't say my D's either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, goes, nobody goes to public places to get their dumps. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so but yeah, I got He's dumplings. And then those like cheesy corn dogs, they have those frozen there. And then I get a Naomi, you know, I get her a bunch of like snacks from school there. So, you know, Caroline, she's... I wish you could understand how many of our what's goods involve iffy going through H-Mart. his H-Mart shopping list. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, Iffy, you know. we, can, we need to talk does. later, though, because yeah. I just moved to Arcadia, and there is an oh, yeah, H-Mart. That, then we go to the same H-Mart. Because, no way! Uh, yeah, yeah. I well, know let's which go get our go. dumps together yeah, sometime. Yeah, yeah, we're going to get That's our dumps great. together. Okay. Uh, you heard it here first. I just want you to hear cheesy corn dogs, I'm intrigued. I need to go find those. That sounds good. Okay, yeah, we'll talk all about it. And you go to the Fika Fika Coffee right beforehand, so you have mm-hmm. your little Java, and then you go, oh, it's going to be great. Look, and it's great, because you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to shut up so that there will be women talking, because that's the movie we're talking about today, the new movie from Sarah Polly. Wow. And later, we'll have a hotline call about movie music. But first, it's time for Ididic, our movie news segment where we ask the question, is this important? Do I care? Andrea is going to kick this thing off. All right, by the time you listen to this, The Golden Globes will have aired for the first time since 2020, when I last worked on them. (laughs) We're recording this before they air, so we don't have any takes on winners or upsets. But the fact that the ceremony is happening at all is news. Last year, you may remember the LA Times broke the story that the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, who put on the awards, had... No black members, no as in zero. In the ins- and they do all of the nominations and the winners determining those. Um, in the ensuing scandal, NBC decided not to air the show. Now the HFPA has done some work on itself and the show is back on NBC with Gerard Carmichael hosting. Is this, I'm super jealous of that. I always wish he was hosting the Spirit Awards. Is this important? Do you care? Ooh. That was an uh, accidental burn. We haven't announced our uh, our host yet. We could have an equally great host for the Spirit Awards. This is true. Uh, you know, I, I, I resent the fact that I, I kind of will have had to have watched the, the Golden Globes this year just to see Gerard Carmichael because otherwise, I mean, it, the, the thing about the Golden Globes is like no one really took it seriously. I, I, even people, that's why it was the show that people got drunk at because they knew it didn't matter. They knew they had like basically 17 people who really like hors d'oeuvres had voted on these things. And, uh, you know, and so it didn't, it, it's not like any, you never hear in anybody's obituary, Golden Globe nominee, blah, blah, blah. You know, but it's a TV show and it's a TV show that people have watched in varying degrees and and you know it promotes tv other tv shows it promotes movies all the stuff that's being nominated but i mean it's not like important or serious or whatever so like get it together hollywood foreign press if you're gonna continue to exist and i'm glad steps are being made in the right direction but i think obviously there's a lot more to do uh but ultimately yeah i i think it's not important and i wish i cared even less than i do uh, what I wish is that in my future um, obituary that mm. it says former low-ranking employee, Golden Gro- Golden Globes employee, yes. Drea Clark. Yeah. So First now line. someone could add that. She First was famous. Yeah. Um, no, it's it is true. Funny, like it's 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 always been unique because it's this combination. It has TV and film, so it's like oh great, all sorts of famous people in one room, and it is a small room. It's literally they host like 
proms and things there the rest of the year. Everyone gets super wasted. They talk too long. It's it's kind of nonsense and, and has always sort of lacked in some credibility industry-wide. I do think the reckoning of it, of calling out this organization, millions of dollars goes into award seasons. The Globes has always been a big component of that. Um, it helps films and TV shows, but especially films enormously, to be able to hang marketing off of nominations, off of wins. Um, but it is such a machine. And I think that the more you draw attention to how that machine works um, or doesn't work, it's helpful. Like the idea of the people that didn't know that there's, you know, less than 80 members of the HFPA that came up with all of these nominees of like, what? Like just foreign journal, they're just going to pick who? Okay. And so calling them out, calling who com is comprised, who's valued, whose voice counts and saying, you know, all right, we either credit that or we don't. Again, I will point out this year they are, airing again and they're on a major network but they're airing on tuesday, tuesday. night at five o'clock p.m so you know ba baby steps i guess but they have major stars <laughs> taking part and yeah what are you gonna do I'm I didn't even know about the uh, black members uh, thing, which makes it even funnier that Gerard Carmichael's the host now. Where it's like, all right, we gotta get a black. There, host. I'm gonna tell you, there was zero way where they were not having a black host. Yeah, they, yeah, they were like, we got it. Oh, he's gay too. Oh, yeah. for sure. Yeah. At first, Yummy. they wanted Will Smith, and they were like, well. I know, yeah. <laughs> or I, I, I would think Wanda Sykes would have been more of a sweep. Oh my but god, I think she probably oh, boy. having hosted the Oscars last year was like, yeah, pass. True, yeah, yeah <laughs> she's like, I'm the. Yeah, it, it, it is a, you know, I sent uh, Dre a text a couple, like a month ago, I think it was, where, because uh, at the Knox, uh, was which, what I call the Equinox in Studio City, they had a billboard for Golden Globes that was like, uh, the biggest party in Hollywood. And I was like, oh, it looks like they're leaning in. And <laughs> Dre was like, I don't do that anymore. So I wouldn't know. I'm, I'm It's all spirit, baby. Spirit's going up. Forget the <laughs> Gold Globes are in the rear yeah, view. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's um, me. I'm Dead looking. To me. I don't know her all the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't um, know her. But then, like, they recently switched it with Gerard Carmichael, and it and it doesn't say like the greatest party anymore. It says something like "time to get serious" or so. I was like, "What, what? is happening?" Oh, like, no. what? they're like, "No more Mister Nice Award Show." Uh, yeah, it We're was good wild. Now. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, I like the party version. That one, I like, just lean in, but also just get people of color voting. <laughs> Man, I, I'm just a civilian, you know, with these kind of things, but I love award shows. I, I never miss them these days because it always pays off to, to watch them to the end. I mean, we've seen that with the Oscars the last several years. Um, and so yeah. I'm excited about the Golden Globes. And what I think is interesting is... They not only had their reckoning with the racial makeup of their team, but also Brendan Fraser accused, uh, I think, a Golden Globes member or a previous the president, president or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so he is boycotting the Golden Globes, which is amazing, I think, and very cool of him. But now that puts all the other actors that show up in the position of being like, well, we're here because we are making a change for <laughs> yeah. my trophy. Right 
100% of those presenters at the start of their speech is going to say something about like second chances, yeah, embracing yeah. whatever. We believe the in only redemption. One not, yeah. <laughs> the only one who's not is going to be Quentin Tarantino, who is going to be 100% c- clueless, oblivious to any of the tone things I that are happening. It. I love great. award show activism. I think it's so funny. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm just excited of like what they'll pull out, you know, for that. And Brendan F- Fraser's very obvious absence, you know, because I think he probably maybe even would have won something if he went. Oh, so. yeah. As still, long, he still might. As long as they can, like, if anybody says anything remotely lefty political, they can cut to like, you know, Mel Gibson and Vince Vaughn glowering. You know, that's <laughs> yeah. what we're here for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, uh, you know, speaking of uh, esteemed actors, Dave Bautista says he's ready to leave Drex in the MCU behind. In an interview with GQ last week, Dave Bautista said that he was relieved that the upcoming Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 will be his last film in the franchise. The actor said he was grateful for his time playing the alien character, but added it wasn't all pleasant. It was uh, hard playing that role. The makeup process was beating me down, and I just don't know if I want Drax to be my legacy. It's a silly performance, and I want to do more dramatic stuff, end quote. Is this important? Do you care? Man, I love actors talking about their craft, but when yeah. they're actors that start as professional wrestlers, good for you. Again, oh, yeah. like the Jessica Simpson of it, dream the freaking dream, right? You're Dave Bautista. You're like, listen, I'm going to refuse to get a normal person body type. I will remain enormous and fully yeah. muscled, but you will see me figure out how to play in movies as if every kind of Randy looks like this. Well, you know, um, Dave, if you've been following uh, Batista on social media at all, he's long been saying, like, this dude is an acting nerd. Like, you know, he looks like the buffest man in the world. But, like, I remember, I think, like, gosh, it had to be, like, almost five maybe six years ago, he was talking about going to con and how he didn't feel like he was respected as an actor and how people like think of him as a wrestler. And he was lamenting those things. And, uh, and I, you know, I, I, I talked about this a bit, um, in the sense of like the big guy acting thing, right? Where it's like, when you're a big guy acting there, you get big guy roles and we're starting to see that kind of change. I mentioned uh, nine days with Winston Duke. I've mentioned, um, the, uh, a bullet train performance by Brian Tyree Henry. And now it seems like knock at the cabin door. You have Dave Padista playing someone more subdued and, and really leaning into it uh, by way of uh, one M night Shyamalan. Uh, but, uh, but, but it is like interesting, but it is also like, you know, it is still like really funny of like, I'm blessed with all these muscles and I look ripped as fuck, but I want you to think of me like a small Thespian. Christian Bale, mealy mouth. Yes. Like, I, like I can do mumblecore. Okay. Like, <laughs> Yeah, go. No, I remember seeing him in Blade Runner 2049 and thinking, okay, this is somebody who is like trying to, you know, like redraw the box, basically, you know, and not just kind of do the stuff that you would expect them to do. And so I'm not surprised that he he wants to expand into things that aren't based on his physique. And I think, or, or I, I think, you know, you look at him in Glass Onion where the physique is part of the character, but it's, you know... It doesn't. It doesn't mean that the character is heroic by any means, you know. Nice. And so, yeah, I, I think he's he's definitely 
you know, interested in 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 going there and and more power to him because I mean I think like The Rock has made a career out of like leaning in hard into that thing, you know, and and John Cena, you know, is sort of embracing this idea of like what if this but funny, um, but yeah, I, I don't see why like it, because I think we've 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 gone through this period where. You know, even women playing serious roles were expected to fit a certain body type, whereas men could have a gut or could be like, you know, ripped or whatever. But now, like, all the men have to be ripped all the time. Like, I, you, I, have, I can't tell you how many things I've seen where, like, the the nerdy character, like, takes his shirt off. And you're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> we call that the Justin Long phenomenon. Ex yeah. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Thank you. You know, and I'm not talking nerdy like if he is nerdy, which yes, you have certainly proven to the world that you can be, you know, like uh, uh, you know, the 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 gym going nipple pony and also know a whole lot about Naruto. You know, uh, I'm talking <laughs> about like pony. the guy who's supposed to that was a, an old boyfriend of mine had that expression. Uh, <laughs> the, 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 I'm talking about movies where like it's supposed to be the the the, the quiet guy who's in the library all the time it's like really then where did that six-pack come from yeah um so yeah i think i think batista can do whatever he wants and we're just going to take it for granted that yes he just happens to have he happens to be built like an oak tree you know <laughs> i love it i love i don't want drax to be my legacy that really uh, fair i totally understand. Like, i would love to have drax be my legacy i That's will so continue fun. to accept the residual checks yeah <laughs> good luck to him though i think you should try everything you want to try in life so yeah, sure. he's just gonna have to prove it let's see what happens bring it yeah uh, so hey before we dig into women talking uh there's an interesting new report about women in the silent era uh in a report they're calling women they talk about uh, the american film institute revealed the details of a three-year study of over six thousand silent era films turns out that nearly 11 percent of films directed between 1910 and 1930 were credited to women writers directors or producers and women were credited as writers on more than 27 percent of films from that time that means that women were more more involved in film production during the silent era than at any other time in the 20th century. Is this important? Do you care? Wow. This is like exciting and a bummer. Isn't it funny? Right? Things yeah. can be more than one mm. uh, emotional Two things can response. be true. Yes. That I love them digging this up. I love them publicizing it. I love that for the women of that time. Um, there's, there's long been, you know, mention of how, when Hollywood cinema was starting up or when silent films were happening, that women had a more predominant voice and they weren't just um, background or assistants or whatever. Editors. Um, but exactly. But the bummer of it, of course, is, oh, cool. Well, so they started that way, which means they got elbowed out at a certain point. And then also the majority of those films are also lost to us. So seeing being able to access what the perspective, like uh, a woman telling a story in 1910. I'm fascinated by that. Please tell me what life looked like for you, even in a fictional component. And so, yeah, that's the bummer side. It's nice to have that uh, reiterated or, or discovered, but oh, cool. Love finding a bummer lining. Love it. 
<laughs> yeah, it is this idea of like, oh, wait, there's like money and power and prestige here. All right, step aside, <laughs> yes, ladies. Yeah. I got this. Thank you for your work. We just saw, uh, my husband and I just saw Babylon last night, and there's a female director in, right. uh, in the 1920s era. And after the movie, my husband, who's great, he loves movies, but he just didn't even know. He was like, so did they make that up that there were women directing then, or was that something that happened? I was like, no, that definitely happened, and probably there were more She's than based on we even Alice- know. Yeah. It's based on Alice Guy Blachet, right? That character? Uh, or Lois Weber, maybe. I mean, there were mm. a lot of really, you know, frontline women directors. And actually, uh, Kino and Milestone Films have been doing a lot of DVD uh, reissues in, in recent years about, you know, women directing in like the 10s cool. and 20s. Uh, Lois Weber among them. But yeah, Alice Guy Blachet, definitely a pioneer. Uh, and yeah, so th- there is, I mean, yeah, a lot of it is tragically lost, like everything of that era, but a lot, but there's still quite a bit to see. And so if folks are interested, I, I encourage you to check it out. In fact, recently they put out a collection called like Cinema's First Nasty Women. And, uh, and there are films made by women also about like sort of complicated, you know, female protagonists. I wonder, you know, maybe in like decades to come, as this kind of stuff is being published and more people know about it, if that will change the legacy or the amount that people talk about these women, because you're going to have all these new film students coming out with more resources at their and will become mm. fans of these women, you know. So maybe we missed the boat, but hopefully their their name gets brighter as time goes on. Well, you know, yeah, it, you know, it's always that thing about like who decides what the canon is. You know, mm-hmm. you, you you have like women writers and and you know painters and various you know artists of different media not getting the same you know composers not getting the same credit. You know, but then you know you start opening up who gets to vote in the sight and sound poll. And suddenly, Jean Tillman is number one. So uh, you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah, it happens. Bad, bad. All right. Well, <clears throat> we're gonna take a break, but when we come back, women gonna be talking. Keith, do you know what I love more than the trivia, comedy, and celebrity guests on our podcast, Go Fact Yourself? No, what, Helen? Sharing all of those things with an actual audience. Yes, well, lucky for you, Go Fact Yourself is back to being a live audience show. Woohoo! Yeah, we've got a free recording coming up on January 15th in Los Angeles and February 11th in Pasadena. And if you can't make it there, all of our recordings will still be available as a podcast. Twice a month, every month on MaximumFun.org. Yeah, no excuses. So if you're not listening, you can go fact yourself. Welcome back to Maximum Film. I'm Yosef Wadi Way. In the studio with me are... Drea Clark. Caroline Ely. Alonso Duralde. Today's movie is latest from director Sarah Polly and stars in an almost entirely female cast, including Rooney Mara, Jesse Buckley, Claire Foy, and Sheila McCarthy, just to name a few. It's based on a novel by Miriam Taves. Drea, would you mind giving us, I'm not going to say brief, as long as you feel fit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sure, Drea gets to get the show. <laughs> to, to, that it takes to uh, give us a synopsis of women talking. 
Thank you, Ify. I will. And you, you sit down, Alonso. Sit down, <laughs> sir. <laughs> um, all right. Women talking uh, takes place in a isolated religious colony. Uh, it's Mennonite in the book. It is not specifically referenced in the film. Um, it begins with the revelation that the men in this community for years have been drugging and sexually assaulting the women. Um and lying about it and gaslighting them. The men leave when some of them are arrested for this and they go, they're going to go bail them out. And then the women literally over the course of a day um, vote and then decide to talk out whether they're going to stay and fight or if they're going to leave. Um, So it is revolving around the conversations between these women. Three families have been chosen to represent the colony as a whole in uh, making this decision. And uh, we watch each of them talk through the varying stages of anger, grief, spiritual concern, um, sisterhood, motherhood, and otherwise um, as they come to this decision. It is also the entire thing being documented by the lone man that is left behind, who's named August, who has returned to the colony after time studying. Um, And he is writing down, because of course none of these women has been taught how to write. Women talking. Amazing. Now, now yeah. you guys can speak up again. <laughs> um, I did not consent to that. No, um, I think oh, you and Caroline should kick us off here, please. <laughs> That's, fair. Yeah. That's fair. I don't know how you guys are calling this anything but women be talking. Uh, <laughs> I have a really hard time calling it by its it. real name. I keep seeing it. <laughs> so, women be talking. If I say that, just know it's with all respect in my mind. Uh, <laughs> women As a woman talking. who talks. Yeah, yes. exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. For, almost professionally. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the movie is adapted from a book that was inspired by actual events that took place in a Mennonite colony in Bolivia. Did anyone know that going in? And does it matter at all if it's based on a true story or not? I I, I did not know that. Um, but it, I, you know, there was nothing about it that seemed like, hmm, this could never happen. You know, <laughs> yeah. uh, I certainly bought the premise. Um, and one of the things that I think, you know, and, and, and Taves co-wrote the screenplay with with Polly. Uh, one of the things I think they do really wisely is that you don't quite know when this movie is set for a good chunk of it because it is. Or where. Or where, for that matter. Yeah, but it is. They live such an agrarian life. And, you know, you have these these uh, this, these women who have never been taught to read or write and they're all wearing very kind of traditional, you know, floor length skirt garb, you know, and, and bonnets and and even like, you know, Ben Wishaw, who's the as the teacher is wearing a very kind of like, you know, he could have just stepped in off the the the, the lone prairie of the 19th century or whatever. So it's it, for me, it was a bit of a shock to discover, oh, this is. This is recent, you know, because of the way that the, the, this, you know, the, those communities tend to, you know, like when you're looking at like the Amish or the Mennonites, sort of embrace this certain version of the world that they just sort of locked in and and froze. Uh, so so yeah, I, I I think that, but but it, but yeah, absolutely, the circumstances of it to me felt like oh, I could absolutely see this this crime being committed and also this possibility of the women you know in the organization who have always been treated as second class citizens who have always been sort of dominated and told what to do 
finding their voices and saying, well, now it's time for us to decide. And Andrea, in your synopsis, the one thing I would add is one of the options is do nothing. Right. I skipped over that because they very quickly decide that that's not like, yeah, they, they do a quick vote at the beginning. Uh, and that one is like solo it, ranking. But uh, no, I, I agree. Yeah. Just because to, it, to, to throw that in there, because it is a, it yeah. is an option. They could have yeah. gone that way and they decide not to. Yeah, I I wasn't familiar with the actual events of this, um, and I haven't read the book. I I would like to now, um, but I can't explain how many times this movie made me cry, like full body shaking as if I was there. And I say that not to warn people from seeing it. Like I found it cathartic at times. These women are asking so many questions, and. Uh, y- yelling at the sky about so many things that 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 lack of a recognizable time and place worked for me because I was like oh I still yell those things I ask those questions I believe all of these things the idea of the frustration of not being heard of not being counted of not being credited or valued in a certain way um and I thought that that grounding it in this very interesting, like you are only sort of given a, a, a sense of maybe when, when a census taker rolls up in like a 1970s, like it's blasting a monkey song and you're like, Oh, okay. Well, this is at least presumably you're trying to say this is then like sort of however many decades ago, but it's also, I would have believed you've said 1850s cause I'm not great at tracking fashion. So, um, the, but like I said, the root of it, the questions they're asking about this firmly patriarchal society and then one that's completely structured around religious tenets and that the the, the guiding premise of it, um, and which is why it's so wonderful that we have Caroline here to discuss that as well, but the, that one of the things of keeping these women in place, both in their discussions and leading up to it, are, oh, if we do leave, we will no longer be entering the kingdom of heaven like that it's rendering our entire lives up to this point moot and also eternally damning us and what an exciting axe to hold over a woman's head look at that look at you what what fun control when i start my cult i will definitely be embracing (laughs) that kind of power move but yeah it it so yes i didn't know the actual events but that kind of power dynamic i was like yeah i see you i see you Oh, yeah. I, yeah, it was it, to me, it was pretty obvious it, it, this was something that could happen that did on some level happen, but was also meant to represent all the the many events and acts of violence towards women and how various even cultures react to it. And the thing that sent it home to me is that it was meant to represent all these different conversations we've been having is how the women would disparage each other even and and try to hold each other down or I think one moment that stood out to me so harshly is when uh, that girl's having a panic attack, the teenage girl in the middle of their meeting, and Jesse Buckley lashes out at her of like, why do you need so much attention? You know, why are you smoking and having these episodes? We all got harmed. Why is it you that needs like special care? And I'm like, that's literally things that happen today all the time to women with their own friends. And especially if you're in a community together, when it's like it, that kind of stuff too. It, it was like, oh yeah, this is what happens like daily on Twitter or whatever if someone accuses someone of harming them or whatever. 
Um, I'll, I think that the, the religious component of this is great, but it's also, it didn't feel, it didn't make it like an elusive or I couldn't understand it. Like there was something very accessible about this story and I would have believed it even minus the religion, if that makes sense. Like there's something about this power structure that they could have been told anything and then from the ground up. Um, if you're taught that from birth, if it's passed down or whatever, and those are your guiding tenets, that that is what shapes you. And I think one of the real strengths of this, both the writing and really the directing, are that in the conversations that these women are having, there's a lot of anger rightfully um, directed towards the the men. But the women are having to acknowledge and grow to see how they're complicit, especially the older women, mm. of like, uh, you know, that the the eye they turned away to certain acts because it's just how it's always been. And then likewise, to they there's a really beautiful even handedness of um, they go out of their way to say like, well, these men are also not necessarily the men who directly perpetrated this, but they are also suffering from the results of these of this worldview of that they have to be this certain way and they have been taught in this and we have also failed them and so if we're going to move forward in this decision they're coming to then how does it affect both the men possibly left behind and their younger boys and i think that that even handedness kept what could have been a very just condemning black and white like because you hear it and it does it starts with this violence you are immediately like i will throw you all off a five-story barn myself i'm so furious right now how dare these men kill them all and then through this talking it's not just talking to vent it's not just talking to come to decisions it's talking out the complexities of all of this and there's so much nuance like every character has different shades of their anger or their resentment or their their ability to forgive and i found that so fascinating well there there's that thing that you always that people will talk about that that feminism is good for men too that feminism you know can liberate sort of men from their programming and from their you know expectations of stuff i mean you know iffy you're the father of a daughter and 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 so i obviously you know as as somebody who was uh, you know, just just the fact that the, that we're living today, that you you know grew up in a different world, and I, I I have no idea what your parents were like, but I'm just guessing if they were a product of the you know the 60s, 70s, 80s, you know, uh, and you're now having to to move along and 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 raise a strong young woman. Uh, I, I'm I'm curious about you know sort of your take about generations and how that kind of thing is portrayed here. Yeah, it was, it was very interesting uh, watching this and just getting more and more angry because of the way that they unraveled, you know, these uh, these assaults and you just see just how bad it it got. And I think, you know, it took it took me a while to figure out that the four year old uh, was involved. And when I did, when those dots were connected, I was like, Oh yeah, no, we need to be clipping these men, uh, right. Left and right. Like they, like the, the scythe wasn't enough and the clipped, I mean, kill, uh, you know, like, like I'm using a slang for kill. They need to be like a gun clip, shoot them, uh, <laughs> and take them out, treat them like old yeller. Uh, their time is done. Um, cause it, it was, it was, it was just, heinous because is and also it was very interesting to watch 
from the perspective, and I think that's what made this movie so kind of heart-wrenching and interesting, is you just see just every, like you said, every layer of it. And like uh, Caroline was saying, how you can just see it, this, this kind of microcosm event can cover a macro level of the ways that people deal with assault, the way that it is brushed under the rug, the way, like the simple idea, like you have to forgive this person or you don't make it into heaven. On the one level, you know, <laughs> you know, having a daughter is like, yeah, no, um, the, the, the level of prison I'd have to deal with after this, uh, you know, incomprehensible, uh, go ahead, uh, do what you will. I have already done what I had to. Um, but, um, the but the also you know the generations what you said Alonso was very interesting to me because you uh, August was an interesting character as well because he is not only someone from a newer generation but he is always also someone who kind of had to deal with the effects of speaking out he is he is a a child of that literally and to come back into this community after being excommunicated and uh, and also coming in with college knowledge you know. He, he knows of the world outside. He knows everything they're being, um, you know, kept from. It was very interesting to see that. And his speech about young boys and, and was was very touching all the way down to the fact that he was going to be like, yeah, I'm going to let y'all get free and then I'm out of here. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, and by out of here, I mean, I'm going to kill myself. Uh, and it, it, it was just very like heavy and strong and uh, truly But didn't beautiful. you find that I, another thing I appreciated, it is so heavy, right? It begins with like, oh, here's this horrible act. Don't worry. This horrible ha act happened to many of them. They have to make this huge decision. They're having this moral philosophical quandary. And yet the amount of times these women turned to a moment of levity between themselves or like oh, yeah. started yeah. laughing about something and they're constantly touching each other. The girls are braiding each other's hair together. And it is, it's that small, like, you know, they've always that thing of like, oh, if Lord of the Flies was with girls... They'd yeah. like build a house out of flower petals or whatever. But there is something that, again, it's it's a well-balanced meal. You're getting, yeah. it's not just proselytizing. It's not just, hear this complaint I'm making. It's, oh, each, each of these characters has a perspective, and they're also going to keep injecting some lightness or some beauty or some love within it. And, and for a movie that is literally called Women Talking, like, it is so not stagey. Like, I just, yeah. when, when, when it's all set up and you think, oh, we're just going to be in this barn then. But, the, the you know, Polly and, and her crew are so great about making that space really sort of alive and enclosed, but at the same time finding ways to shoot it angles to be at where you don't just feel like like you're just watching a play that somebody set up a camera on um so it it, it it it's a it's a movie that vibrates with life even as it is so much about you know discussion and about uh confrontation and 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 these things that are happening within verbal interplay but you're right they do weave in this physicality to it i mean i think one of the sexiest things i saw in a movie last year was ben wishaw drinking water out of rooney mara's hands um you know Soon. yeah just so there's just so much going on here so many levels of, of of the story that's being told and yeah it's not just this jeremiah of men bad you know um yeah. I, I i was just you know it she's such a virtu virtuoso as a filmmaker i mean she was a great actress and and 
probably still is if she feels like ever doing it. But uh, as, a, as a director, like I just so admire what Sarah Polly does. There are a couple things that have uh, been kind of sticking with my mind after this movie. I saw this today, so I'm like still you know, oh, in wow. process. Mm-hmm. Ooh, but yeah. um, the Americana, gorgeous, love it. Uh, <laughs> but the one thing I thought was very poignant was that it was the two youngest girls that spotted the the assaulter's face mm-hmm. and were the ones to actually point him out. And I was thinking later, I'm sure they're not the first ones that saw the face of someone who had harmed them. And you learn later too that um, Melvin probably knew. And you think that the older generations, many of them probably also knew who had done it. And it takes the younger ones who are a little bit innocent and don't know how the world works yet to, to actually point the finger and stop it, you know, and say like, why are we just accepting that this could be vague or Satan or a ghost or something? We were awake and we saw them. And that's the optimism, right? Like the idea that those younger girls aren't as beaten down or Mm -hmm. beaten into the, sorry, I keep using the word beaten, aren't as downtrodden or whatever that, and, and they're not already so immersed in it that they can't speak the truth. And to them, they also like, there's a moment where someone says like, well, they could let them go. Like they could just, and they're like, we saw them. Mm -hmm. Or they said like, what if it wasn't all them? What if they didn't actually do? And they like, we saw them. And the idea of, there's an optimism of that, that it can be changed. And that like Ben Wishaw speak that you were just talking about is alluding to the fact that it can always, it can always get better. You can be improving each generation and if you're not interrogating the decisions of your culture and your structure and how their hierarchy of how things work, then it won't get better. You have to always be wanting more. And seeing those girls behave in that way was a great example of, no, it could. And actually, to what Alonzo said, August, the Ben Wishaw character, you know, we learned his mother was an activist and his mother did push beyond that. And the result of that is in August's character, you have... Um, a male who was born in this world, who's still part of it, who is happy to acquiesce and listen to these women to be privy to what they're doing. Like, it is possible. It's not, oh, men are like this. Women are like, like there is um, a, a fluidity of expectation that is really another thing that keeps it yeah. from he, becoming he demonstrates totally dire. what's possible, like, exactly. despite right. his existence. The, the other thing... And, uh, always finding the bummer lining, as Drea said, <laughs> that I found difficult in, in watching this movie is, you know, because of my podcast and we just cover every once in a while, you know, like news going on in the big churches of America and what's happening and stuff. Um, I can't tell you how many horrible stories there have been of pastors or staff members or whatever getting accused of something. And the church's response quite often is he apologized and we're welcoming him back in and they will literally bring the man back on stage during a service and people will stand up and applaud for him. Uh. This happens recently, often, all the time. The SBC, uh, I don't know if you, the Southern Baptist Convention, there was just this like bombshell report uh, of all the ways that several This is a loose collection of churches that are in this convention. But anyway, bombshell report of how over and over, you know, they were suppressing reports of assault or dismissing them outright or even, you know, going after the women who had accused them. 
And I, as I was watching this movie and seeing the way that they were handling something that has happened in so many churches recently, um, I was so sad because I was like, this probably actually wouldn't happen. You know, like the forces of inertia and spiritual abuse and the thing that I almost was like in this movie, if this women were real, if this were the community, there would be so much more Bible talk and praying and talking about like real forgiveness. Like they're, they're actually shame. quite progressive, I think, for, for even for like an evangelical com- church would have been more conservative in their reaction than these women were, I think. Um, but... I have to be hopeful that things could change and things get better. And then I was thinking about the first line when this movie starts is this is an act of female imagination. And so these results that the women leave in peace and they go start a new community haven't happened probably yet in in most church communities. They didn't even happen in Bolivia with that real story. Um, But in our imagination, we can we can think of something better. And this movie, I think, hopefully is an act of that. And it's nice to like manifest that out there. It's an act of portraying the world the way you wish to see it. Yeah. (laughs) Vote. Yeah. Vote. Let's get this vote going. Uh, So the way we do votes here on this podcast is screen it being the highest, stream it being the next one and skip it being self-explanatory. So uh, (laughs) who wants to kick this off? I'll go. Um, this was this movie started, and if you know those things where they're like, find you, who are you in this picture? I'm like, I'm Claire Foy. I'm angry and I'm very, very loud about it. Um, this movie is, it, as you know, was one of my top ten of the year. Um, this is definitely a screen it for me. Tag yourself. Thank you, Marissa. I'm thinking of the tag yourself element. I am Claire Foy. And... Uh, I, I could talk about this movie for a hundred years, so if anyone else sees it, please feel free to reach out to me on Twitter, and I will discuss it further. Um, I do want to stress, for as much as it made me weep, I'm so glad I watched it, and it is easier to watch than maybe you think, from what we're saying. Like, it moves along so quickly. If, yeah. if you're like, oh, it's a bunch of women arguing things out in a barn, believe me when I say it looks better than we're making it sound, maybe. And every, there is moves, a ticking clock element. Yeah, it's moving beat to beat to beat. Like they're having these really fascinating discussions, but it's never like, oh god, they've been talking about this for a while. It's um, anyway. I I adored this film. I think it's so incredibly made. It was so nice to see, like Sheila McCarthy or Judith Ives, like, yes. um, actresses that you've seen for a long time and other things get to shine in this unique way. Um, and yeah, it was, it was cathartic for me. Like that ending, yes, I cried again, but female imagination, thank you. Give me that ending. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Caroline? Um, do you guys remember that 30 Rock joke where Tracy stars in the movie, uh, hard to watch? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, hard yeah, to yeah, watch yeah, yeah. based on got? the book Stone Cold Bummer by Manipulate. <laughs> um, that is... <laughs> A whole category of movie I generally avoid because life is so sad as it is. And I get way too emotionally connected to movies to like handle these normally. Um, So I was going to put Women Be Talking in that category. I was never going to see it. And then I was asked on this podcast to go check it out. And um, I've got to say it was... I'm so glad I did. I think it was quite beautiful. And while it is some of the most heinous 
stuff and story you have to look at and understand and really absorb. Almost the, entirely off camera, I will all, add. Which was so uh, such an act of mercy. I'm so glad, as it yeah. should be. No one yeah, ever yeah. needs to see that shit. But um, the the ending and and the the words and the the phrases so many of these things i was like these all belong on billboards monuments like the sentences <laughs> these women are saying like it was so beautiful and not um corny inspirational it was like actual inspirational and and good to see so um i don't remember what the voting categories are but uh, i would say definitely go see it screen screen it screen it, screen it. <laughs> uh yeah i'm also a screen it it was also on my top 10 for for the year um you know, yeah, Judith Ivy, Sheila McCarthy, two actresses I adore and who don't get a lot of like screen time and real estate in the last couple of decades in here. They just are are served a full meal and it's it's a delight to watch. Um, there's something exciting about stories about people who are given agency for the first time when they've been denied it for a long time. Um I think, you know, every time I read some mediocre white man talk about wokeness, uh, they they live under this idea that because women and people of color and queer people didn't used to get the talk in the in the public sphere, that that means they never had anything to say. And now that we're let, giving a platform for that to happen, that it's strictly some sort of weird tokenism and not the fact that they've always had something to say. So the fact that you have these women who have been living in a religious community that has sort of silenced them and rendered them as second-class citizens coming forth with all of these ideas and concepts and feelings that they've been that have been welling up inside of them and and getting to like spill out in this way it's just it's thrilling to watch it's thrillingly made uh, I recommended Sarah Polly's book earlier this year as a uh, as as my what's good, which I recommend in conjunction with women talking because she covers a lot of the same issues in terms of you know women and sexual assault and how the culture handles that. But yeah, screen it. I love this movie so much. Please, please go see it. Yes. All right. And you know me. It's going to be a screen it as well. Yeah. Just a harrowing. Uh, dark look that i think the power within it is the fact that it's like we see this in many different forms and i think that is the power of cinema uh you know uh, <laughs> and i mean that uh, super unironically but it always feels weird to say <laughs> uh, <laughs> i hear you uh yes but um in in just a quick anecdote before break uh just speaking about what caroline was saying about you know the church and everything like that um you know um hung for jesus save your soul when i was looking up stuff to um to uh, talk about it because it was my picks, one of my top movies of the year. Uh, you better believe uh, the church is review bombing this movie, but they're trying to be discreet about it by saying like it was so slow and what was going on. I was like, no, that's a that's a goddamn lie. Uh, sorry, excuse my uh, French, um, but yeah, yeah, it was uh, your sacrilegious was, French. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah the, like, the Catholics all, know a thing or two about this yeah. subject too. Believe me. Yeah, but it is it is wild how. How, like there is this weird uh gaslighting within the church where it's like we can't talk about it even though it happens we're not going to do anything about it but you can't c criticize it and it is wild uh, as someone who grew up in the catholic church as well shout out alonzo you know it is uh wild to see but we'll be right back after you're from another show for maximum fun hey there 
It's Annabelle Gerwich. And I'm Laura House. We host Tiny Victories, the 15-minute podcast that's about the little things. Getting into the tiny victory frame of mind is about recognizing minor accomplishments and fleeting joys. Isn't it a wonderful day when the first password you try actually works? When it's freezing cold outside and toasty as all get out in my shower, my tiny victory is that I turn off the water and get on with my day. We can't change this big dumb world, but we can celebrate the tiny wins. So join us on Maximum Fun or wherever you listen to podcasts. Let's get tiny! Welcome back to Maximum Film. I'm your host, Evie Wadiway. In the studio with me are Alonzo Duralde, Caroline Ely, Drea Clark. And today's movie had a distinct mood that was supported by its simple score. And today we have a hotline letter about movie scores from Benjamin, who writes <clears throat> I love the podcast between the hosts, guest movies, what's good, edicts, and discussions. Uh, prompted by a discussion in a Facebook thread by friends of mine, take a well-known movie with a score or a jukebox soundtrack, replace the music with a different score, and change the whole mood of the film. Which movie would you like to pick for this? Who do you replace? Who takes the new job? And what kind of movie does it become? So we're swapping you, out the... I have never expected you to nail sounding toothless. So uh, <laughs> I gotta go pour myself a julep. I'll be right back. <laughs> I myself am a simple movie podcast host. <laughs> What's this friend, guy's favorite I movie? Had, <laughs> I had a friend in college who was very good at doing the, the thing where sounds like your truth is missing. Oh, yeah. whistling. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I can't do it. So this 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 game is fun and is probably even more sort of nuanced if you do it with scores. Mm. I am not good with scores. Like I don't always hear them. The better ones I don't hear. Honestly. Well, that's ideally, yeah. I think yeah. the best ones are sort of you know they 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 don't make themselves known necessarily. Right. Well, so as a result, what I was thinking of for this are, huh, well, what are songs? Because the other thing they gave was jukebox soundtracks. I'm like, right. what are movies that are either musical or defined by music in some way and therefore swift them? And let me tell you, I amused myself heartily with, um, if you take Moulin Rouge, which is Ooh. already, you know, mm -hmm. taking a lot of pop songs and making them heavily romantic and doing different things. But then you sub in only songs from the Blues Brothers soundtrack. <laughs> and that was very, very funny to me. Like the idea of, remember how Peter Gunn, the like that's all where they, and there's that whole thing with, um, go on and shake your tail feather. And the idea of Ewan McGregor singing like t shake a tail feather at <laughs> Nicole Kidman or working in Aretha Franklin's think as like the big satine set piece. There you go. She's like swaying back and forth, but doing like, you better think, think, <laughs> think about what you like. That'd that. Yeah. Right? I, I, Cat Calloway's Minnie the Moocher absolutely works in there. You I could think. do that for the tango. Sure. That whole tango thing, <laughs> the Roxanne tango. Yeah. I very much was amused by this. I like give it. me some lovin'. The, give me, give me some. <laughs> like that could be. The rawhide uh, theme. Give me some lovin' could be the Duke. 
There Whatever. you go, right? It's yes. very funny to me. I highly like this question. I will probably think of this on road trips for years to come. <laughs> well, see, now, Drea, I can never predict what you're going to say, because the first thing that came to my mind, I didn't say because I thought for sure it would be yours. Oh, because okay, fun. Y- you have mentioned in the past that you want to take the classic made-for-TV uh, holiday romance, Holiday in Handcuffs, starring yeah. Melissa Joan Hart and a perfect uh, film. and Mario yeah. Lopez, and redo the whole thing as a horror movie without changing the screenplay at all. Yes. And I thought if you could just change the score <gasps> and, and maybe kind of accomplish the same thing. But then oh, my, my, my other yeah. thought along that line was, uh, what about Bob? Uh, but I'd say in either of those movies, you take out the existing score, you bring in either the ghost of Bernard Herman or Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross and just do it really dark and foreboding. And both movies become these sort of terrifying stalker stories. As they should be. Yeah. Uh, hurrah, hurrah for you, Alonso. Thank you for mentioning <laughs> Holiday in Handcuffs, Melissa Joan Hart, a perfect film that could be made even more perfect if you let me do it as a psychological thriller. Yes. Mm, very good. Okay. Caroline, um, any I, uh, bites? I like you, Drea. I also have score blindness. I don't notice it. I don't hear it. My every, well, my friends will always be remarking like the score was so good too. And then I'm lying. I'm like, yeah, it was score. good. It was moving me so many ways. Uh, but there's one score that I or movie soundtrack that I consider iconic, which is the Shrek soundtrack. <laughs> Nothing but hits on that one. And after just seeing Babylon, I feel like it would actually work really well if Nelly is dancing to All Star or, uh, you know, Secret <laughs> Chord for when uh, Brad Pitt's character uh, goes to heaven. I think it could be beautiful, and really oh special. And Babylon needed more modern needle drops. They're not oh. doing that enough in movies Babylon these needed days. more Leonard Cohen. <laughs> <laughs> I say, can we, we leave out uh, Hallelujah? Just that's just as a, as a No, Hallelujah has to come oh god amazing iffy i'm sorry but out of all of us who was gonna say shrek i would have been looking at you so i beat him to it excited to see what uh what populist take you have oh yeah it's gonna be mama mia but instead of abba it's gonna be beyonce tracks and it's she's not gonna need a dad by the end of the movie she ain't gonna need a dad the dad was herself the whole time it oh was God. herself the whole time. Wow. Iffy would watch, would produce, would yeah, license yeah. tomorrow. Oh, Amazing. yeah. That would heal the world. Oh, that sounds so good. <laughs> and, and you could even throw in, like, look, for the Christine Baranski uh, and uh, who's the other? Julie what? Walters. Julie Walters numbers. You maybe throw in a little Destiny's Child just for why not. Oh, <laughs> oh I love the party. Yeah, that's the big finale. That is the big finale. Everyone's ready. Oh my god, I want to watch it. Somebody sync that up and send it to me. It's going to happen. <laughs> oh, nice. wow. Look, it's, it's good. It was good, and that was a very, very good question. Yes, sir. So thank you uh, yet again for coming through, uh, letting us know. Benjamin, you did what needed to be done, and that was fun. If you, listener, got a question for the hotline, write it out or record a voice memo on your phone and send it to MaximumFilm at MaximumFun.org. But now, it's time for staff picks. It could be any movie at all. So who wants to kick this off? Oh, I've got one that is another film uh, about women, directed by a woman. Um, And it's one that we've talked about 
a lot on this show, but I feel the need to bring it up because uh, this weekend, Hallmark Channel is launching a new TV series called The Way Home, uh, and it's about uh, three generation of women, and the youngest discovers through some sort of magical swimming hole or something that she is able to... uh, encounter her own mother uh, at her own age as well as her grandmother and I thought what better time to remind people that Petite Maman exists and is currently streaming on both Hulu and Canopy uh, mm. a film that Dre and I well, I think we all are, are big fans of from Celine Siama her follow up to Portrait of a Lady on Fire a an achingly beautiful movie about childhood and about mother child mother daughter relationships um, and if you have for some reason not seen it yet despite our constant exhortations for you to do so it's it's out there it's streaming petit maman check it out um i'm gonna piggyback on that because i have finally a segue finally it it only took me five years (laughs) but my recommendation is a short film written by our guest from our petit maman episode oh and the film is called my year of dicks it is currently on vimeo for free it's 25 minutes animated fantastic pamela ribbon wrote it um and it is so good and actually in petite maman is short and wonderful and thought-provoking watch my year of dicks and then go watch um petite maman Double they are bill. nothing alike but they will make you feel so good but it's entire it's set in the 90s based on pammy's real life struggles of Losing her teen virginity in 90s Houston and falling in love with a bunch of dirtbag skaters and other idiots um, and having her heart broken and her carnal desires thwarted. But it's fast and funny and like sharp and edgy in cool ways. Edgy is a terrible word. So just know that I mean that from the heart. (laughs) My year of dicks, you'll thank me. And both of these movies together are shorter than Babylon. Yes, (laughs) maybe half the length. I don't know where this podcast stands on Megan, but I stand with Megan. Uh, I had a great, great, great time watching that movie. Also very short, uh, wonderful. A a new thing that I need for movies, (laughs) apparently, is for them (laughs) to stop being so fucking long. Especially during Um, award season, yeah. Yeah, but Megan was a blast. It's so funny and disgusting and just crazy and hilarious and I had I had a great time and it was so cute because when I went uh one of the actors I think she was in the audience and brought her entire family and friends so like a good three rows of the theater were just like cheering for her and it was so fun and it was a great time so love that believe the the hype Megan is great it's on the calendar I can't wait oh yeah Yeah. okay great Oh, yeah. No, Megan was my pick, too, and I refused to change it. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, written by Akila Cooper. Shout yeah. out to her. And directed by Gerard Johnstone, a New Zealandite, which gives me a shout out to uh, <laughs> Maria Lewis. Uh, what's good? How you doing? Uh, Kyora. Oh, you know, that's you. You, you would know. Oh, you would up. know if you was uh, in like uh, like I was. Anyway, um, <laughs> loved it. Also was fun. Uh, real freaky. Uh, deaky. Everybody's been saying, like, you know, gay men have been loving it. Uh, They said they've been standing. Like, someone said they had a a theater filled with gay men, and that's probably the preferred way to watch it. They said it was camp. They said they're going to (laughs) make, my friend Wax said, they're going to make 10 of them, and they're all just going to get more camp as it goes along. But I'm going to wait to see what Alonzo says, because we know that is our resident (laughs) lord of camp. Uh, So, so wait for the tape. 
as the phrase he used earlier, the Mary worshippers. <laughs> yeah, there you yeah. go. <laughs> yeah. Aren't you a camp counselor then? Ah. Yeah. 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 I, oh, I hear we have a new Baba Duke, so long live the queen. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Yes. Her oh, outfit oh. alone is just like enough. Like, enough yeah. yeah. To know. It's. Yeah, it's great. The the jokes, the lines, it's just my favorite combo of a horror so movie. Fun. Not too scary. They got some jump scares in there, though. I'm going to let you know, Alonzo, because yeah. you know you are on the Freddy train with me. Good to know. But, good to know. But, you know, yeah. not too bad. The, the one-liner, so. That was a chef's kiss for those who aren't on the Zoom. But let's take this plane in for a landing. Thanks to Caroline Ely. Where can folks keep up with you? Um, you can follow me at Caroline's Farts on Instagram, Twitter. I'm also on Letterboxd, trying to get those numbers up. I don't know for what. I don't know why, but I want them up. Uh, so give me a follow there. And then, of course, you can listen to my podcast, Good Christian Fun. I host it with my friend Kevin. We talk about uh, Christian pop culture. It's very, it's a silly show. It's not for um, evangelism. So don't worry if you are not a Christian or don't want to be. She does not need to keep her numbers up. <laughs> no, we're trying to get the numbers actively down. Yeah. And so far, pretty successful, I gotta say. So huge, huge year for us. Yeah, I've been on. I've been on. It was a yes. blast when I was. Iffy. So yeah, definitely pull up. Um, yeah, Letterbox is weird. People keep following me, and I only have two reviews uh, on Letterboxd, which is a five star review for Pacific Rim and a five star <laughs> review for Judy. Uh, that's it. Uh, and if I feel like I can't. You. Yeah, yeah, I can't do anything else because it's gonna kill the bit. So that's uh, that's what's gonna happen. I, I have a secret Letterbox that I do just to list things, Ooh! mainly Hallmark movies, but you'll never know where it is. What? Oh, that's a challenge banger. accepted. <laughs> the chat yes <laughs> I want to know oh thanks to my co-host Dre and Alonzo for another wonderful show thank you it's always a blast uh, and um look uh, you know if you're in the San Francisco area on the weekend of January 20th I'm gonna be doing some uh, comedy shows at San Francisco Sketchfest. get out there to see it it will be fun I promise and if it isn't nice. take it up with uh, someone else <laughs> And you, uh, speaking of taking it up with people, if you have a comment or suggestion about this week's show, tweet at us at Maximum underscore film. Our Facebook group can be found at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Maximum Film or send us an email at Maximum Film at MaximumFun.org. Our producer is the wonderful Marissa Flaxpart. Our senior producer is our number one fan who is always going live in the group chat about what she hears on the episodes, Laura Swisher. This is a production of Maximum Fun. Bye-bye. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.